What makes someone decide that despite the controversy and the hostile environment surrounding the topic of abortion in this country, that they still want to work hard to make sure that that service is available to any and all who need it? I wanted to know, and I think you do too. So sit back, relax, as we have this conversation with Dr. Kyle Bukowski, Complex Family Planning Specialist and Chief Medical Officer of Planned Parenthood in Maryland. But first. The Lady Parts Doctor podcast is a health podcast focusing on issues that affect women and those assigned female at birth. However, it is for everyone. This is our safe place to talk about things that matter to you, involving your spiritual, mental, and physical health. It's not medical advice, it's medical information. We talk and I give you the evidence with a little of my personal and professional experience sprinkled in. So sit back, relax, grab your water, coffee, tea, wine, I've got my thermos, and let's go. Hello and welcome to the Lady Parts Doctor podcast. I am Dr. Stephanie Hack, the Lady Parts Doctor, and I am so excited that you are joining me as always. We always have such a great time and there is always so much to talk about in the mental, spiritual, physical health subject. (laughs) Really, there's always so much for us to talk about along those lines. So we have a really cool show today and a first, and you're going to hear me talk about that in just a few moments. But first, let's recap the last episode. In the last episode, I really wanted to discuss more about the link between your mindset, what you believe, how you feel, and your mental, spiritual, and physical health. Because I believe very strongly that if your mental and spiritual health aren't right, it is going to manifest itself as an unhealthy body. And I want to make sure that this platform takes that into consideration, that not only am I providing information to help you have your healthiest physical body, healthiest physical health, but also that we're doing the groundwork to make sure that you remember and know and move forward in life knowing your full worthiness and having the most positive mindset that you can have. Affirmations, worthiness, we're we're talking about all of that. So that was a great discussion. Another reminder that the TEDx for the Bethesda Women's Conference event is coming up on October 12th. Y'all, I am really excited. My subject matter is something I spent a lot of time deliberating about the topic and just waiting for the moment of inspiration where I could really articulate the message I wanted to share with you in a way that I felt would be compelling for you that would really resonate with you. And I'm so excited to do this event. I think it's going to be such a great day. If you are anywhere in the Bethesda vicinity, Bethesda, Maryland vicinity in the beginning of October, specifically October 12th, come down to Imagination Stage. That is where the Bethesda Women's TEDx event is going to occur, and we're going to have a lot of great conversations. You can go to the website, my website, ladypartsdoctor.com, and you will see on the very front page a link to the event so you can get your tickets. I can't wait to see you there. It's going to be great. But now... I want to get into our very special guest 
today. This is the first male identifying guest that we have had on the Lady Parts Doctor podcast. Now remember, this is a podcast for everyone. And we have so many conversations and everybody needs to have a seat at the table because that's how we do here. Today's guest is Dr. Kyle Bukowski, a double board certified OBGYN and complex family planning specialist who currently serves as the chief medical officer for Planned Parenthood of Maryland, where he works hard to ensure that Marylanders and anyone traveling to Maryland have broad access to affordable, high quality sexual and reproductive health care, right? We just don't want affordable. We want affordable and awesome. Dr. Bukowski received his medical degree and completed his residency at the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA. Providing comprehensive, evidence-based sexual and reproductive health care is his passion and drives his interest in advocacy, LGBTQI health, and medical education. In his free time, he and his husband enjoy hiking with their dogs and finding the tastiest food in any city they are exploring. So... Enjoy this conversation with Dr. Kyle Bukowski and I. Hello, and welcome to the Lady Parts Doctor podcast. I'm so excited. Like, this is a first, but I'm so excited to have our guest today, Dr. Kyle Bukowski. You're the first man that we've ever had (laughs) on the Lady Parts Doctor podcast. So welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. I am used to being the only person with a white chromosome in many spaces, so this is very normal for me. Well, it's great that you said that because I want to know a little bit about how you became interested in, well, OBGYN, what made you decide to do OBGYN, and then specifically what made you to decide to do a fellowship in complex family planning? Yeah, well, it's um, it's a long story. Started when I was a little child. Um, not really. I Well, kind of, I guess. I grew up in the South. I grew up in Florida very white, homogenous, conservative area. Um, and I went to college at a like liberal arts college in Missouri and took a women's studies class um, kind of by accident or by request from my lit professor. Okay. Like, you would probably benefit from this class. And I was like, I don't know what that means, but right. figure this out. <laughs> um, and it like blew my mind. Um, because it just took every little aspect of how gender plays a part in how we're socialized and all of these things. And it just like, it blew my mind. And, um, even though I was a queer kid, like wanting to get out of that area, I really had not had a lot of like my like white cis male gender norms and privileges, like really questioned or explored. Cause I like, yeah. because like, why would you? Right, right. Why would I? And my queerness was like the only thing that I felt oppressed in. And so that was kind of like where I, I had gotten to at that point in my life. And so this blew my mind. And then my senior year of college, I took a, I knew it always, I always knew I wanted to be a doctor, had no idea what kind of doctor. Mm-hmm. And um, I took a senior seminar in the women's studies department that was like controversial topics in women's health. And it was taught by two OBs from the med school at, um, at WashU. That's interesting. It was awesome. Um, but the biggest takeaway from the class is like, why does this have to be controversial? Like, why yeah. is women's health controversial? Like, and, and you know, so we talked about birthing advocacy, we talked abortion, we talked about 
menopause management and um and I was just like so interested and actually it was birthing advocacy that got me the most interested you know kind of all these conversations about you know midwifery versus equalization of obstetrics uh mm -hmm. and OBGYN and I just found it fascinating I was like this is a place where I could like really participate and maybe breaking down some barriers and stigma and all of this and so I went into med school pretty sure I wanted to do OB I thought MFM Mm -hmm. And then my second year of med school uh, at UCLA, there was nobody to lead the med students for choice chapter. Nobody was like interested. I think it was kind of like an apathetic group because we were in Los Angeles. Most of the people that I was going to school with grew up in California. And so reproductive rights was just kind of like a given, I think, right. for a lot of people. And it was not where I came from. I came from a very anti-choice home. Like I was outside picketing outside of Planned Parenthood as a little kid. <laughs> um, yeah. And... And so, and I said, you know, I said some stupid things in my women's studies classes that got me corrected because <laughs> um, I just didn't know. Uh, and I wasn't getting anybody pregnant back then. So <laughs> I, you know, it's like not on my radar. Dr. Bukowski made so many points here that I want to kind of circle back and discuss. So first, a couple of definitions and explanations. A complex family planning fellowship is a two-year fellowship that an OBGYN does after they complete their four-year residency training. So they do four years of medical school, then four years of training in obstetrics and gynecology, and then an additional two-year fellowship, which is focused on training in research, teaching, and clinical practice in abortion and contraception. It's family planning. Remember, abortion is not the only type of family planning. Most family planning involves contraception and other ways to prevent pregnancy. So that's one thing. It is not always necessary for someone who wants to be a complex family planning specialist because some programs just have more opportunities to train in abortion and family planning services. He mentioned the maternal, the MFM fellowship, which is maternal fetal medicine. That's basically a high risk OBGYN. That's another two-year fellowship that's done after residency that focuses on high-risk pregnancies. I also love the point he made about the fact that he had never been challenged to think outside of his own perspective as a white queer male growing up in Florida. And honestly, it makes me think about what's happening in Florida and how history is being changed and redacted and rewritten and just the importance of having that information available so we can teach one another and also transform our perspectives and think outside of our own personal experience in a way that benefits other people and makes the world better. So just a little commentary from me. Let's get back into the road to becoming a complex family planning specialist. And I was like, well, Med Students for Choice had... I has to exist at UCLA. Like if it doesn't exist at UCLA, how is it going to exist anywhere else? Yeah. And um, I had kind of left college at the place of abortion is a really complex issue. And because it is so complex to me, it is really inappropriate to legislate how people make medical decisions that are very personal and like so unique to each individual person's life experience and situation. That, that's kind of like where I left it. Didn't really have any plans to be an abortion provider. Didn't think I would actually participate. And so 
Um, but I was like, I'm gonna leave this group. I have a women's studies minor, like this, is, this has to happen. Uh-huh. And so I did that and I went to a conference and I was sitting there and the speaker, Rachel Phelps, um, who is, you know, I think led Medicines for Choice for a while after that, was basically speaking about how women will always need and seek out abortion care. Yes. And like throughout history, this is the case. Like we can just accept that. And what our role is as medical providers is deciding whether that happens safely Mm -hmm. and in a place that is affirming and supportive or in a really dangerous way. Mm -hmm. Um, If it is hidden, uh, not legal, not able to be researched, um, that that is only going to lead to harm to women and to people who um, can get pregnant and trans and non-binary people. And I was like, and that was kind of like the switch for me. So like, if not me, who? Um, and so then I became like that guy in med school and, and in residency that was like, abortion is a critical, important piece of the entire spectrum of like reproductive care. Um, I actually did not do fellowship. I am, uh, I did, I like got grandfathered into the, um, board certification this past year, but I didn't ah. and we had extensive abortion training program. And so I went right into working at Planned Parenthood out in California after, um, after residency. So it's a very long answer, but the journey is like really important to me because I feel like my growth and understanding this has been very organic and based on just affirming people, what people are telling me is real to them. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that lands me in a really authentic place to do the work that I do. And the affirming is such an important piece of our work because as OBGYNs in this space, we are constantly interacting with people who feel that their complaints and their concerns go unheard. They feel unheard and they feel unseen. And our job is to not only care for them, but to say, we see you and we hear you. And that's a motivating factor for many of us. At this point, I'm just going to let you know that although this is typically a very objective podcast, because I feel very strongly about this topic of assisting those who feel unseen and unheard in the medical space, you are going to hear me be very subjective in the rest of this podcast episode because I'm a very strong women's health advocate. We are transparent here, so I just want to make that clear. All right, keep listening. I love that you shared that part of your journey, just kind of coming, I mean, not even, it's not full circle, but just the complete turnaround, because I think a lot of people stand in your place. And the problem that happens is you have people who have different opinions on abortion and family planning, um, and we don't listen. We just come with, this is what it is, but nobody sits down to understand this really complex, individualized issue as you mentioned, and the fact that you were willing to learn and willing to hear how it affects people in a way that has nothing to do with you. I think we put ourselves into these decisions so much when really, as you mentioned, it's an individual thing. If you're not the one making a decision about whether it's for you, it has absolutely nothing to do with you. And the other thing that you mentioned that I was actually thinking about before we started our call was just how did abortion become this 
controversial topic. And I agree with you. I'm like, we've made it so big, but it doesn't have to be this huge, like you hear abortion, you're like, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want it to come up at family dinners. I don't like, it doesn't have to be that topic because this is something that people deal with every day. And because we've made abortion such a big thing, as we saw when Roe v. Wade fell a year ago, people began to say, oh, things like, oh, caring for an ectopic pregnancy is an abortion, but it's not. But because we don't really understand the complexity of the issue and we just kind of lump everything together, it ends up being this huge issue that affects how we as providers are able to care for our patients. So, I mean, those are two things that I was really listening to, but now I have like another question I'm afraid to ask you because I think it's a, a little personal, but like, how do your, how does your family Ooh. feel about what you do? <laughs> uh, we don't talk about it. Um, yeah. yeah, we don't talk about it. And like, I mean, like we've acknowledged that it exists as a part of my work. Um, we've yeah. gotten that, that took like five years honestly. Yeah. Um, and my mom had me at 18. Like she was like, grew up like dirt poor in like rural Florida. Mm-hmm. And like, honestly, by the numbers, like I could have easily been like an aborted fetus, like mm-hmm. poor teen pregnancy, like have their whole life ahead of them. And my mom, like is the like most loving, caring person ever. And so for her, despite all those odds, she could never have imagined not being a mother. And while I appreciate that very much, Mm -hmm. um, that is not everybody's experience. And sometimes her like inability to like totally grasp that part is where like it's challenging, but at least I can understand what is driving her kind of decision-making around the responsibility of parenthood because she yeah. took it so seriously um and I feel like my job is to just try to give people like glimpses of like think about every single exception to the rule or situation where you're like well maybe I would in that case or I could understand in that case and, like as soon as you have that like little inch of like understanding that it is more complex than you could ever necessarily bore out every single scenario and come up with a rule that covers all of that mm-hmm. is when like you just shouldn't have a rule about it and you should just like let people do what they need to do to honor who they are their futures their families their decisions and like the world would be a lot happier right if people minded their own business right <laughs> if we could go back to like that golden rule like be kind to others do want to others as you want to be done to yourself but mind your own damn business like the world would be a much happier place it would be very different. Yeah. But so it's, but I like, it's important to me that I came from that place because I I understand. And even like pro-choice kind of rhetoric of like, it's, you know, pregnancy tissue and it's medical and all of these things. Like, yes, that's true. And I'm a physician and there is science and medicine about this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also recognize that for people, this is a future baby, a future life, a future whatever, like, because I also take care of people who have miscarriages. I also deliver babies. Like the fact that abortion has been siloed into this thing that is other to the other experiences of pregnancy is honestly one of the the worst things that we did as like a medical system, like, you know, providing whatever system is letting that get left out in the dust because it then creates these scenarios that are just not real 
for medical providers, right? Like, is it a miscarriage or or is it a viable pregnancy, but they're bleeding? And, you know, like all of these things that providers are now having to deal with under these bans is exactly the stuff that we knew was going to be problematic. Yeah. Because nothing fits into nice little boxes. Right. Particularly with pregnancy. Right. Yeah. Um, it's been a little while since I've done, oh, well, not really too long, but you're exactly right. Like when the person comes in and they're like 22 weeks, like that was my thing when I was pregnant. I was like, God, please just don't let me like break my water at 22 weeks when I'm in this position of like, my baby is almost viable. And then I have to make this decision. You know, you're in a position where you're making a decision because at 22 weeks with a ruptured, I'm just now explaining for anybody who's listening, when you break your water at 22 weeks, that amniotic fluid is very important for baby's development. And many of those babies don't survive. And having to make a decision as a parent about whether or not you want to continue the pregnancy or end the pregnancy, like those are very complicated things. And, you know, that could go either way, depending on who, who, what your situation is and who you are and where you are. So that separating it out and making abortion this very scary thing. I agree with you completely. It's it's caused problems for providers. It caused, and even like in hospitals, you can't, certain hospitals won't even manage those pregnancies for that very reason. So it is a, a difficult situation that we have found ourselves in. How have you seen things change at Planned Parenthood just in Maryland since the fall of Roe v. Wade? Um, I mean, it's been it's been a wild year. Um, really, we like knew that something serious was going to happen when the Supreme Court took up the case, and when they let SB eight in Texas like stand, um, we're like, oh, this is where this is going. Can you explain for people who are listening? SB eight was a, a law that was passed in Texas that created like a vigilante bounty system for anybody getting an abortion over six weeks after a fetal heartbeat or you know, cardiac motion was detected. So while some of us were caught off guard by the overturning of Roe v. Wade, others had seen the systematic dismantling and creation of laws that would be set up to tear Roe v. Wade down. So Dr. Bukowski here is talking about SB 8, and SB 8 was a law introduced in Texas that invites lawsuits against anyone who performs or abets an abortion and they really mean anyone. It could be people who donate money to abortion funds. It could be someone who gives a ride share to someone to a clinic. You don't have to know that you're assisting someone with obtaining an abortion, and these lawsuits could be filed by any citizen against another. In all like face value, it violated Roe v. Wade, um, but because it was specifically designed by a very smart albeit evil people, um, to circumvent the normal ways that these laws are enjoined so that the Supreme Court can say that violates precedent in the court. Um, they were like, well, we're just going to let it stand because it, technically we can't say no. And so we're like, oh, okay, this is where this is this is going this year. Um, so when Roe, the leaked decision was released and, and then the final decision, um, our first thing was, we need to understand what's coming our way. Uh, we knew that Maryland had extremely um, strong history of protecting reproductive access. We had passed laws during that the 2022 General Assembly uh, to increase provider um, 
ability for providers to provide abortion and coverage and all of these things. And so we knew that we were going to be essentially a haven state along with many other states kind of on the northeastern mm-hmm. coast. Um, but we just didn't know how many people were going to travel because we knew that the southeast um, and the Midwest were going to very quickly ban abortion. If they didn't have trigger bans already in place, they were going to quickly right. move to pass legislation. Um, and we did not get a, a huge surge, mostly because of North Carolina uh, and Florida. So the places that really saw the biggest increase were you know, North Carolina, Florida, Illinois, New Mexico, Colorado, because um, they were surrounded by states that were banning um, abortion. And so we haven't seen a huge surge. We've seen a trickle, though, it's consistently. I mean, if we look year over year, we've seen about like a 40% increase in our out-of-state rates or you know, number of patients since last year. But the number is still overall is small compared to Marylanders that we're taking care of or like okay. people in the community. Um, but North Carolina just passed a 12-week ban that got enacted on July 1st. Florida has a 15-week ban in place, has a six-week ban that they're tr- trying to get is passed and signed by the governor, but the other ban is like in enjoined with the Supreme Court, the Florida Supreme Court, so it hasn't gone into effect yet. Um, so that could really change what Maryland has seen if North Carolina loses and Florida loses um, more access because Virginia can't absorb that. And so people yeah. will start pushing up um, further north. The most recent data provided by the Guttmacher Institute indicates that abortion is banned at 12 weeks and later in North Carolina. It continues to be a very restrictive state. Patients are forced to make two trips to the abortion provider, one for an in-person counseling and another at least 72 hours later for the abortion. State Medicaid coverage of abortion care is banned, except in very limited circumstances. Medication abortion must be provided in person because state bans the use of telehealth or mailing pills or requires in-person visits. Parental consent or notice is required for a minor's abortion. Only physicians can provide abortions and not other qualified healthcare professionals. And Florida continues to ban abortions at 15 weeks or later. So a lot of it's just been monitoring how do we take care of people, Mm -hmm. um, building strong systems to increase access um, in different ways. So removing unnecessary um, requirements. So testing people for anemia, if they have no history of anemia, uh, doing ultrasounds for medication abortion, if people have a regular predictable last period and they don't have ectopic pregnancy risk factors, that's safe and appropriate. Um, providing services over telehealth for people in more rural areas um, or that can get to across the state line and pick up those meds and, and complete their care here in Maryland and then go back home. And so that's a lot of what we did the first year. Um, and then just trying to create sustainability within our workforce. I mean, it is yeah. really hard to- and That's hard outside of Planned Parenthood. It's hard. Let's talk, let's talk about how empty the cup was coming out of COVID. Right into into that um and you know it's really hard watching my colleagues in places that have bans and effects and where they just like can't take care of people anymore um it's you know heartbreaking so i can't say that it's been a very you know positive experience but i think we're doing as much as we possibly can to to give people as much choice as possible um to do what they want Mm -hmm. um 
and then it's hard to think of all the people that can't even get to the care that they want uh, or need because of where they live and the amount of resources that they have. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is an assault on people who are underserved already, you know, people who already had difficulty accessing resources because make no mistake, the people who need abortion, regardless of whatever, whether, whatever side they're on are going to get abortions. Like it just is what it is. And something else that, that you were um, mentioning when you talked about the trigger bans, I think it's important that people understand that this has been a very strategic, long drawn assault on reproductive health. They, many of these trigger laws, they were made years ago, waiting just for this moment for these legal minds to come together and say, all right, we're going to put up this case that's going to be able to change precedent. And then, so it's so like, it's just, it's like stealth, but not really because we knew as we saw it, but just slowly kind of chipping away at the progress that had been made for reproductive health since Roe v. Wade was passed all those years ago. So I think like that's the most interesting thing to me. And I don't know if like, I, I feel like, I don't know if we had our guard down as these, <laughs> as these things were happening, you know, as they're just slowly chipping away. Yeah. Um, um, I don't know. And yeah, I, I mean, yes, we had our guard down. <laughs> um, I would, you know, I always said that like abortion is the canary in the coal mine, right? It's the easiest thing to attack. And so uh, because of, you know, the uh, particularly the religious right brought in this morality right. conversation and, and made this, you know, abortion and murder and life at conception, like all of these things really came to be really in the 19, like 80s, honestly, like a lot of that conversation didn't even really exist before then. Mm-hmm. Um, other than just controlling women's reproduction, which was just like a baseline characteristic of, you know, patriarchy. Um, before that, once that was combined and it was able to be attacked, I think abortion became a canary in coal mine for a lot of social justice issues, right? So whenever, you know, we were saying when abortion falls, they're coming for your birth control, they're coming for trans people, right. they're coming for queer people. And like, that is exactly what they've done in the year after mm-hmm. Roe fell. Um, and even OBGYN, like, and I don't know what your experience was like in training, but it was always easy. And you saw it in multiple institutions where abortion was put to the side, right? So like, we don't provide it in this healthcare system. We refer out to Planned Parenthood or independent abortion providers, or, you know, I'm going to be a generalist, but I'm not going to do that, um, mm-hmm. you know, service, or I'm not going to be able to, or even like the fact that we couldn't do ask like, do suction procedures in the ER for like miscarriages um at least throughout my training meanwhile ortho is like relocating a shoulder in the next room you know or like you know a broken arm or something that's like way more invasive and painful for a patient um Mm -hmm. all of these little like signals that like abortion was like left to the the side um was very clear to me throughout my training and uh over the last 10 years and even you know even ACOG, like, I was like really vocal as a med student that I was like frustrated that there was so such minimal conversation about the the position of reproductive rights and ACOG would have its large position statements, but like, there were still the conversations that were, you know, we're a member organization and we have to make sure that all members voices are like, you know, accepted and there's some members who, you know, don't believe in abortion and all of these things, which 
again, personal beliefs, totally understand it, but I don't know how as like the OBGYN advocacy organization, you are not full steam ahead about like warning signs, warning signs, warning signs. There are multiple state yeah. legislatures that are passing laws that are specifically ready for Roe to get overturned. And the only right that is protecting particularly black, brown, poor, queer people um, in the Southeast and the Midwest um, is one court decision. And all it takes is flipping that court and we lose everything. Right. Um, Which was also a stealth decision that had been <laughs> right. like, I mean, worked on. Yeah. And yeah. they were like, they were saying the quiet parts out loud <laughs> for years. Um, and so it, it's unfortunate that it works. It's, you know, frustrating that they, they did a good job. Um, yeah. Yes, I, I think we, we missed some opportunities. ACOG is the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, and it is the governing body for OBGYNs in the United States. And not everybody is a member, but many of us, if we're board certified, we are members of this organization and they make many decisions and they represent OBGYNs and politics. They do have a political action committee and it donates money to both pro-choice in anti-choice organizations, which is also something to keep in mind. Since the fall of Roe v. Wade, they have come out with strong messaging stating that abortion is healthcare. However, leading up to Roe v. Wade, for many of the OBGYNs who weren't specifically linked into the abortion or family planning community, we were not aware that this was falling. We were not aware that Roe v. Wade would have been taken away. And so that's exactly what Dr. Bukowski is saying, is that there really should have been a warning bell. And that would have given many more of us an opportunity to come together and try to make sure that women and people with uteruses and people who were assigned female at birth can maintain their right to make decisions about their bodies. So we're gonna continue this conversation. I'm about to go off on a tangent, but again, you know that I feel very strongly that you need to be seen, you need to be heard, and that you need to have the power to make decisions about your body without someone taking away those decisions from you, especially someone who doesn't see or doesn't hear you to begin with. So let's keep going. I feel very strongly about this. And, you know, I know that people won't agree, but as an OBGYN, I am a woman's health advocate. And there's really no room for me to put my moral decisions on other people about their life. Like, my job is to advocate for whatever it is that you need. You know, like that's just how I've, I've always felt. So I, I know that there are people in ACOG, you know, there are OBGYNs who don't support. Um, abortion, which I think is, per I think it's perfectly fine to say, I would never get an abortion. Okay. But what does that have to do with you? <laughs> and I just can't. And so I, I even think about my experience with med students for choice um, when I was in medical school. And I remember doing this um, intern. I don't know if it was, I can't remember if it was an internship, but like a mini fellowship at our local um, our local uh, abortion center. And the thing that was surprising to me was that people would come in 
anti-abortion and still get abortions <laughs> because it's not abortion. It's really your decision about your family planning. I mean, it's family planning. That's really all it is. Um, and that's right that everybody has and should be able to make about their bodies and about their families and their situations. So all of these things are very interesting um, to me. There was something else you said. Go go ahead. <laughs> I didn't agree with everything you just said. And I think part of this too, like when I talk to patients or people, I'm like, listen, sex is a normal, healthy part of like human existence. And not every time people have sex, are they thinking about every single possible outcome that right. could come from having sex, right? STIs, pregnancy, whatever. And right. like, this is why people who claim to be anti-abortion still need abortions. Because guess what? They're still having sex and they're not planning for every single one of those scenarios. Because guess sometimes what? Sometimes by choice, sometimes not really by choice. ruin the mood of sex. Probably yeah. too many people. And yeah. so this whole concept that it's like irresponsible and you know, people aren't being responsible with their reproduction and all this stuff, I'm like, it's bullshit. Like we're not responsible yeah. in so many other areas of our life, but we're not like crucifying people for like not having their like every single possible responsible decision together. And like, this is no different. And it's this is just an outcome of people having sex and not necessarily thinking about, are they ready to parent? a right. child or another child from this one act of sex. Which is a very human thing. 100%, right. It's a human thing. No, you're you're exactly right. And there is, it's a punishment. And I get concerned about that because I'm like, when you start saying, oh, well, you know, she or he was having sex and so, or they were having sex and this is what happened. So that's what they get. Like, I feel like there's this idea of that, but I'm like, it's not a punishment. And then you don't want to weaponize pregnancy. Like the second pregnancy becomes a punishment. Like I've been pregnant many times, but I have three children. Um, and I like love being pregnant and I was very thankful for it. And it was very joyous for me. I never had to be stressed out about it. Well, other than miscarriages, but like, I never had to be stressed out about my actual pregnancies because I was pregnant when I wanted to be. I was planning my pregnancy and my family and growing my family when I wanted to be. But the second you find yourself in a situation where you don't want to be pregnant and you are being forced to remain pregnant, then you're weaponizing pregnancy. And it just shouldn't be that experience for people. Right. Yeah. And, and just this whole, like, all this like stigma about you know, abortion being, and it does, it, it mostly exists in like anti-abortion like rhetoric, but like that, you know, that abortion is this like terrible life-altering experience for people. And listen, I've provided lots of abortion. I've delivered lots of babies. I can tell you the joy and relief that exists on both ends of that spectrum are very similar. Mm -hmm. um, and also I always ask this question when I kind of get challenged on this of like, yeah, but you know how traumatic that would be for X person, uh, a, a teen, uh, whatever. And I was like, think about how traumatic it would be to force somebody to parent. And I always ask people who are parents, I'm like, and I'm not a parent, but I have been told by many, it is the hardest job they've ever done in their life. And like, imagine signing up for the hardest job you've ever done in your life without like any agency to like make that decision and go into that experience without being 100% and even the opposite being like absolutely dreading and miserable about it like sounds awful there's also like a there's a secondary outcome like of if you do 
deliver a child, like how that child is going to exist mm -hmm. in that situation that you were actively like trying to prevent. Right. And not able to also sounds really hard. Yeah, no, I agree wholeheartedly. And we have spent um, a lot of time talking about specifically family planning, of course, because that's what I wanted to talk to you about. <laughs> but I think people don't realize that family planning, like specifically abortion, is such a small percent of what Planned Parenthood does. Can you talk about like what things do, what other things does Planned Parenthood, what other services do you provide? So it's, abortion is, a, is not um, necessarily like the majority of what we do, but it's a really important thing that we do, um, mm -hmm. particularly because so many other places refuse to do it. And so people have to rely on independent abortion providers and Planned Parenthood to get care like one of the most common medical procedures that's performed, um, right? But it all falls within this larger, you know, spectrum of sexual reproductive health care. So people coming in for STI testing treatment, people coming in for birth control to change their birth control, to stop taking birth control so that they can get pregnant. Um, we provide vasectomy services. We're one of the only, if not the only Title 10 provider in Maryland that provides vasectomy services. Um, we provide gender affirming care for trans and non-binary people. Um, preventative health services, so cerebral cancer screenings, breast exams, referral for mammograms. Um, and, and Planned Parenthood really has, you know, what we lovingly call our three-legged stool, which is healthcare, which is the biggest thing of what we do, but there's also education. So we provide sexual and reproductive health education to all age groups from school-aged um, to senior living. Uh, and then advocacy. Right. We know that sexual reproductive health care is unnecessarily under attack in so many areas, and we must advocate so that people have broad access to high quality health care, regardless of their zip code, what they look like, who they have sex with, uh, and how much they make. Uh, and so those are kind of like all of the, the full spectrum of what Planned Parenthood provides. And um, I am incredibly proud uh, to work for this organization and have um, since 2015. And so it's been a really rewarding experience, exhausting sometimes, given like the external uh, environment and factors. But um, I remember walking to Planned Parenthood the first time um, as a resident and just being like, oh my God, like this is the most wonderful like healthcare, like as a provider experience. Like everybody was just like kind and mission-based and so patient-centered and all those things that like I would get irritated in the bureaucracy of large academic healthcare systems or county healthcare systems, like they just didn't exist there. It was like, mm -hmm. this is what you want, this is what you need, and we're gonna provide that for you. We're not gonna judge you and we're gonna affirm you and like make it as simple as it should be was like yeah. my adultery. Um and was a big reason why I decided to work there after residency. We thank you for, I, I don't think everyone fully understands that for people, for the providers who go out of their way to provide complex family planning, despite the increasingly dangerous environment that it has become, um, that they really, they, I mean, you guys risk your lives, honestly, to provide this care that people need. So it is so important it is so incredible and courageous and you know we especially as the generalists because we don't provide all of these services are very thankful for the work that you do to continue to honor women people assigned female at birth people who need these reproductive services like thank you and thank you for coming on the show and talking about yeah. it
It was great to have Dr. Bukowski on the show, and this really was an enlightening conversation. Whether you are pro-choice, anti-choice, or somewhere in between, I hope that you really got something out of this episode. The timing is also important, as abortion will be on the ballot in many states in the upcoming elections in November. Whichever way you vote, make sure to vote. And as always, we are going to end with a powerful affirmation to leave you feeling uplifted and empowered. I have the right to make informed decisions about my own well-being, free from external judgment or influence. One more time. I have the right to make informed decisions about my own well-being, free from external judgment or influence. Before you go, make sure to subscribe to the blog on the website, subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening. And if you've enjoyed the show, please leave a positive review with a comment. This helps guide the people who will most benefit from the show to the show. And it's all through your recommendation. You can also find me on YouTube, Instagram at LadyPartsDoc, Twitter, Threads, TikTok. I'm everywhere. Let me know if you have any questions, stories, or ideas you want to share. You can email me at drhack at ladypartsdoctor.com. Again, I'd love to see you at any of the events coming up, especially the upcoming TEDx Bethesda Women's Event. But if you aren't there, there will be a link. And of course, I'll put that on the website. Until next time. Mm -hmm.